In the 19th century, there was a fixation with death and dying. Ghost photography, as well as an interest in communicating with your lost loved ones. One of the most infamous stories in the 19th century actually had a Canadian connection. Raised for the first part of their lives near Belleville, Canada-West, Margaret and Kate Fox moved with their family in 1847 to Hydesville, New York. One year later, in their new home on March 31st, an event occurred that would change their lives and the spiritualist movement forever. It was on this evening that the two girls began to communicate through rapping noises with the spirit of a peddler known as Mr. Splitfoot. Neighbors became intrigued by the happenings at the Fox home and came to witness it for themselves. Eventually, the sisters were sent to live with their older sister Leah in Rochester, New York, who had also developed medium abilities. At the time, Rochester was a hotbed for reform and religious activity, and the girls' story of being able to communicate with the spirit spread like wildfires and the girls were invited to showcase their abilities on numerous occasions. Of course, there were skeptics, and the Fox sisters enjoyed rigorous testing to prove that they could actually receive messages from the beyond. I'm Blair Newby, and this is Chatham Can Hauntings. For centuries, there have been those who believe that people can communicate with the dead or that they have received messages from beyond. Even here in Chatham-Kent, you can find such stories. Guiding us through these tales today are Sheila Gibbs, Lisa Gilbert, and Jim Gilbert, authors, historians, and organizers of Ghost Walks of Chatham-Kent. Our first tale today is called Comfort from Beyond. So this particular uh, thematic part of the of of our podcast is uh, is entitled "Messages from Beyond," and uh, the 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 story certainly uh, has that, but it also encompasses, I think, what is probably the most common uh, type of uh, occurrence, ghostly occurrence, um, of certainly the stories that I've heard personally, and it involves um, somebody who has lost somebody who's close to them. And in this case, this woman, uh, she had a a very bad uh, year because uh, within a year of each other, she lost her brother to a car accident, and then she lost her husband. He died of leukemia. But her daughter who was married and uh, had was was about to have a baby and so she took heart in this that uh you know uh, uh, she'd lost there were two lives lost but there was new life about to begin so she also then would look at the pictures of her family on her computer you know and uh looking at her husband and and that sort of thing just just to comfort her but she always made sure that she turned the computer off when she was done because she didn't want to, you know, she didn't want to have a virus uh, come along or whatever. She was very clear that she shut her computer down all the time. So one evening, she 
uh, got a phone call from her daughter saying that she was going into labor. But that was not a good thing because this was much too soon. The baby was not due. And so she knew that this would be problems. So she went to the hospital and she was able to hold this baby very briefly, but it was too premature and it died. And so this is the third death within a year or so. She came home and she really was, uh, uh, that this, is, this was the straw that broke the cam- camel's back. She sat down at her chair in her office and she just cried and cried and cried. And all of a sudden, her computer, which had been shut down, went to a blue screen. Then it went to a picture of her husband and her daughter. And then, as she, she wasn't doing anything to it, it went to her husband's login page. And she's convinced that this was her husband telling her that he was with her in spirit if he couldn't be there in person. So that kind of thing often happens. Uh, when people say that they encounter ghostly experiences, it is often just after a loved one has died. Now, in this case, her daughter had had some experiences as well. So some years before, when the daughter was still living at home, a friend of hers, the friend had gone, had had an argument and she was uh, very upset. So she ran out of the house and she went to her boyfriend's place and the boyfriend and she were riding down the street And they got into a bit of a tussle, I guess, uh, just play fighting. But he lost control of the car and the car uh, rolled. She was not wearing a seatbelt and the window was open. So she was ejected from the car and the car rolled on top of her and she died. Now, this is a a girlfriend. So at midnight, uh, they got a call. And, uh, and this fellow said he had to talk to the daughter. And so reluctantly, the mother got the daughter up and uh, she, she heard the story then about her good friend dying. And of course, she was very upset. She was a teenager at the time and she was very upset about this. And she remained upset until uh, maybe about a week or so later she came down one day and one morning and she said to her mother, I'm not upset anymore because her friend had come through the window at, in the night before and said to her, said, you know, uh, probably communicated uh, somehow that uh, rather than actual speaking, that she was okay and that she was not in pain and that it was all right, that everything was going to be fine. So the daughter was very comforted by that. The same daughter, uh, later on, had gone to Holland to visit her father. So this uh, woman had been married before, so this was her, her real father, and she'd gone to Holland. And while she was gone, another friend had died. And uh, so when the mother and her husband came to pick her up at the airport. They didn't know how they were going to break this news to her, but she, as soon as she saw them, 
she said, I know something has happened, and it involves the very friend who had died. So she had had a presentiment of his death as well. Sometimes it, it happens that way that people do get these. And, and and sometimes it happens that you have more than one friend die and, you know, others can go for many years without that happening. So at any rate, she was comforted by the fact that she knew already that uh, this was going to happen. So it wasn't a shock to her. And that's the incredible story of comfort from beyond. Next up, apologies from beyond the grave. As I have said before, there are um, many things happen on the River Road, either Dover or Raleigh, um, between Chatham and the Prairie Siding Bridge. It seems, well, it's certainly uh, one of the earliest settlements in in our area. There's all sorts of farm that that abut the, the river. And of, of there's been all sorts of burials along the river, chiefly of um, natives. So I don't know if that explains it or not, but uh, it, this one happened on the Raleigh side of the road. It's really the story of two families, one that rose to wealth and power, and one that faithfully served them for um, many years. It is also the story of a house lovingly built according to lofty standards of the time. Our story begins early in the 20th century when Colonel Weir served in the cavalry of the First World War for the British Army. This is a significant fact in the ghost story which follows. Colonel Weir immigrated to Canada and became an accountant rising to the position of president of Union Gas. He gained a great deal of stock in the company and other multinational companies, which made him a very wealthy man. His wife, Winifred, was a nurse from Mississauga whose family had owned property laid its soul for the construction of a hospital. She came as well from a, a background of wealth and influence. Both Colonel and Mrs. Weir were raised in a class structure common to their upbringing and the Edwardian age they were born into. Each person had a place in society dictated by birth and education and certain lines could not be crossed. They brought this attitude to the River Road Raleigh and their lives in a rural setting. Colonel Weir was used to the gracious homes of England with large gardens surrounded buildings of substance and style. The design of this house was based upon plans for a model home on the cover of House and Garden magazine in 1944. It featured copper eaves, troughs, and a formal dining room with a buzzer on the floor to summon staff among the unusual features of the house. Due to the shortages by the war, they were not able to complete this dream house until 1952. To maintain the grounds, they employed a gardener, who they introduced by his title and not his name when greeting visitors. Very formal. Despite these characteristics, the gardener and his family remained loyal to the couple, who had no children until Mr. Weir died in 1986. 
Mr. Van Sickle, not his real name, emigrated from Holland in 1953 and at the age of 11 began to help his grandfather with the gardens. Eventually, he took over the position and his wife would often help out. Their children would play on the grounds and were a, a familiar, if arm's length, sight to Colonel and Mrs. Weir for over 25 years. As Colonel Weir advanced in age, he made no secret of the details of his will, which left the house to a nephew in Toronto. He made no mention of his faithful retainer, who understandably would have been uh, appreciated a memento at least of his years of loyal service. At the end of his life, when Colonel Weir was in his 80s and blind, Mr. Van Sickle would pick up groceries from Mrs. Weir and run other errands that allowed the couple to live in the house that they loved so much. He acted as far more than gardener, obviously. When Colonel Weir died, Mr. Van Sickle's daughter, who was 15 at the time, offered to stay with Mrs. Weir for a few nights so that she wouldn't be alone. Two nights after the colonel's death, in the middle of the night, Corey, not her real name, phoned home with a strange message. She had seen Colonel Weir, remember he had died a few days ago, in his World War I Army uniform, and he had spoken to her. He told her, tell your dad I'm sorry. What did this news from beyond the grave mean? Could Corey have misunderstood what she saw? The remarkable thing about this ghostly appearance is that Corey had never seen Colonel Weir in his military uniform. Why would she? She didn't really know what a cavalry uniform looked like, but she certainly knew the man who had employed her father for so many years. There can be no doubt about that. The family believes that Colonel Weir regretted not leaving even her tokens uh, of remembrance to Mr. Van Sickle when he had done so much for him all his life. Perhaps he wore his uniform from so many years ago because it represented authority of the glory of his youth. That was no more. For six months after the Colonel's death, the family visited the house daily and never met up with an apparition or heard anything else. But the next lady who moved into the house after Mrs. Weir sold it, who felt uneasy and heard strange scraping sounds in the basement as if a chair was being dragged across the floor. Her dog grew very agitated at this sound, and more than one occasion barking at some unseen disturbance and with the hair rising the back of his neck. One memorable occasion, the front entrance door opened up on his own, and the owner can get close to it as something pressed against the door with a great deal of force, keeping it shut. This lady had only updated the painting and wallpapering that hadn't been touched in 30 years, but she did not undertake any major renovations, which usually, sometimes, causes apparitions. Usually is the tearing down of walls or alteration of a space that is known and loved by the previous owners that prompts such animated ghostly displeasure. 
In this case, the lady in question made only minor changes. Perhaps she was more susceptible to the atmosphere of the house because the Knicks owners who did do a great deal of renovation never experienced any odd happenings. Because remember, as we've talked about before on Ghost Walks, sometimes it's the people who are haunted and not the house or the situation. There can never be a clear explanation as why some people experience paranormal activity and others don't. It remains an intriguing mystery. As for Colonel Weir, perhaps he now rests in peace knowing that he demonstrated the strength of his regret by apologizing in what can only be described as the most unique and certainly unexpected way. Another aspect of Colonel Weir's house, that shortly after uh, Mr. Colonel Weir died, uh, the caretaker was digging in the garden. And he dug maybe a little bit too deeply, wanting to get some soil. And he found a grave of what he probably thought was an Indian chief, a native chief. And it had some of the trappings of, of being a chief. And so you often wonder that maybe that has something to do with the appearances and the different sounds and um, the weird things that happen in this seemingly model house that you would never think would happen. Now, it remains a mystery as to whether the finding of this grave buried on the Weir Place has anything to do with the unusual occurrences that happened in the house. It could very well be. And that's the ghostly tale of Apologies from Beyond the Grave. Up next, messages from the other side. One of the telltale signs that your house is haunted is electrical disturbances that the owners might experience in the house. Lights might come on and off at will. The doorbell might ring and nobody's there. And the radio might change stations when nobody is nearby. We have heard about all of these oddities. However, there is one even more powerful and remarkable interference in this electrical realm, and that is a phone call from beyond. This is such a story. It seems if the death is sudden or if there is an urgent need on the part of someone who has died to pass on one last bit of information, somehow that message will get through. The following story from Blenheim is an astonishing one of determination to express such a need and offer reassurance at the same time. Mrs. Bleakers, not her real name, daughter, Abby, died unexpectedly of an aneurysm at the age of 25, leaving behind a young daughter, Sarah. Three months after Abby died, her mother was sitting at home when her son phoned her in a greatly agitated state. Her son is a very skeptical person with his feet planted firmly on the ground, but he was overwhelmed by the event that had just happened to him. Mrs. Bleeker's eyes grew wide as she listened to her son's story. 
This is what he told her. His phone rang in the middle of the night. And as he picked up the receiver, he was stunned to hear his sister Abby's voice. After the first few seconds of disbelief, he managed to utter a few replies, even though the whole situation felt surreal. Abby wanted to know how Sarah, her daughter, was doing. She told her brother that she was okay and that she was sorry for having to leave so quickly and especially for leaving her mother the responsibility of raising her daughter. Abby talked normally, as if she was still alive, and then said she had to go. Mrs. Bleeker could hardly take in this information, but another extraordinary message was yet to come. Three days later, Abby's best friend phoned, and she said to Mrs. Bleeker, you're going to think I'm really strange, and you may not believe me, but Abby visited me last night. She asked me about you and how you were handling your fibromyalgia. She asked me to look after you. After delivering this message, according to her friend, Abby turned away and drifted through the front door. Surprisingly, Mrs. Bleeker's first reaction to these mind-boggling communications wasn't disbelief or even gratitude to hear that her daughter was telling her that she was all right, but rather dismay and a feeling of hurt that her daughter hadn't phoned her first. While, like any of us, she was astounded at what her son and her daughter's best friend were telling her, she was also still anxious to believe that all was really well with her. Young daughter, in some afterlife that she could only imagine. Then she began recalling the time just before Abby died and the unusual thing that had happened in her house. Her daughter had been diagnosed and had grown pale and tired looking. As she played with Sarah that day, she suddenly looked up at her mother and asked, Mom, did you see that? Mrs. Bleeker, who hadn't seen anything at all, kind of laughed and said, Oh, it was probably your guardian angel, seeking in some way to offer comfort to her daughter. Abby was very serious in response and said, No, she didn't just touch me. She wrapped her arms around me and held me and told me everything will be okay. For the three days that she lived after that, she had a glow about her and a peacefulness, as if she knew what was coming and she was not afraid. And those are the ghostly tales for this week's episode. But stick around for a roundtable discussion featuring our Ghost Walks of Chatham Kent partners, Sheila Gibbs and Jim and Lisa Gilbert. You know, I think um, this uh, whole concept of a message from beyond is probably one of the most common types of ghostly happenings um, for people because so many people have said that, you know, they were, they've been visited in 
some way, shape, or form by somebody who has just died. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever counted them, Sheila, but I bet you there are quite a few of them. Well, actually, it's um, a fairly common phenomenon in nursing homes mm-hmm. that um, after someone has passed that the family will report that they've had an interaction with the person who's died. Right. That's often very common that if it's going to happen, whether that's something to do with the amount of energy that uh, someone can summon initially after they die, if that's part of it, I don't know that they can somehow get through to their family to say. And it's, it's very much the same message each time. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. You know, I think in all of the the stories that we recounted, um, there there's a word that always comes up, and it's comfort. You know, something or somebody or your mind, whatever whatever it is, I'm not discounting that it could be uh, extra curricular phenomenon, <laughs> but it could also be just the person wanting to reassure themselves or a person that they know that everything is okay, that, you know, death is a natural part of our existence and we are all going to die, basically, and... Um, that 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 there's it's as common as as Shakespeare says is as common to live as to die. So I think that there's something comfort to the living that look, don't worry, you know, it's okay. Okay, and, I, and oh. that's that's why it's so important because I mean, again, thinking of Shakespeare, that um, well, you'll know better than me that. Um, is it unknown born from which no traveler returns? Mm, yeah. yeah. You know, that fear that we all have as living people that we don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. And the best evidence that we actually have is when there's uh, a report of somebody who has died and been pronounced medically dead and then are revived and what they've experienced in this time when they unbelievably, they say, have they've actually been con- considered dead. And they do talk about these experiences that they have. And that's where all the information about uh, going through the tunnel, seeing the white light, having beautiful music, uh, feeling a, f- a sense of moving through space, all those, uh, those things come from these near-death experiences. So I think we're all looking for that because we, we don't really know what's going to happen. So it's that, again, looking for comfort. Yes. Yes, but, okay, so you you were seeming to suggest that in some cases it's maybe the living who are hearing or or somehow experiencing things that aren't, that really didn't happen. But, and, and in the cases of the stories that we told in this episode, it, it could very well have been, but in a lot of the stories that we have heard and other stories that people have told, they had no idea the person was dead and that and that dead person comes to them. So I think in in the sense that, yes, the living want comfort and they want to have some idea of closure or whatever, but I think the dead do too. And maybe, I don't know, Sheila, maybe you, you have done the research. Um, is a 
uh, you know, a spectral phenomenon? Is it uh, the, the powers that a, that a person who has died... Are they strongest just after they've died? Yes, apparently yeah. in the in the that I, I think I just read that recently that it said that the energy that I mean when when you think of um, of the law of uh, that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It's one of the things that I think of that we are all energy. When you stop and look at the table, your 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 pen is resting on this microphone, whatever. It's all energy once it, once it's broken down scientifically. So it isn't so extraordinary to me to imagine that that this inner being that is our personality, that is our spirit, survives and that it is strongest initially after the event before that spirit moves on to another plane, another right. level of existence. Right. I, I, and so I think that is why these stories of, of a recently de- a dead person uh, coming to one of their loved ones are probably the most common of all of the ghost ghost stories um, that we have ever heard. Well, they're not just so much common as I think the most dramatic and have the most impact. Yes. And people who, who, who tell these stories, they're just absolutely floored by the experience. They never forget it. Like the ones that we've been relating and I, I think that's the power of these ghost stories, that that's why they're still perennially popular, is the fact that, like Jim said, we're all going to die, and we all would like to have some idea that maybe there is something else yeah. beyond our life here. And I guess it goes to the old story whether, you know, it's at the root of all the ghost stories that we've heard and that we tell is it a creation of a person's mind or is there something abnormal happening that is with without isn't acceptable to our rational minds yeah mm-hmm. but that's that's why um, the evidence of children and animals is so significant because they don't have those rational barriers. Well, that's those very filters. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they just say what they see. I don't know. I, I think that what I like about ghost stories is the fact that we're hearing from people that are just like us. And they've had extraordinary experiences. It's up to you to decide what you want to believe. We're not out to, to convince anybody of anything. Um, it's up to you how you want to take that information. And that's what we always say as we commence our, our ghost tours, you know, in the fall or in the summertime. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we always, we're not hardcore believers, but, but we're open Here are the stories and make up your own mind about them. But I'd also like to point out that, you know, when I first started doing any sort of research, it's absolutely remarkable to me that these sorts of stories exist across all cultures, across all times. Yes. You can go back to the Egyptians. You can go back to the Incas. You could go back to all sorts of different cultures and they still have these kinds of stories. And many of them are the same stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it makes me think just on an, another topic, you know, within, I would say, the last year or maybe even six months, 
You know, there's a lot of discussion about UFOs. Yeah. Yes. You know, and, you know, a lot of people are, the United States military, for example, are admitting, well, there's something we can't understand. We don't know what it is. We're not saying it's UFOs, but there's something going on out there that we can't understand, but it is definitely going on. I wonder if sometime in the future, maybe a near, near future, that will say the same thing about ghosts. And that's very possible because I think uh, something that you've remarked upon like years ago and still say is sometimes we don't really want to know. We yeah. want that mystery. That's right. We want that intrigue because it gives some extra dimension to your own life. Exactly. And it doesn't make our lives totally useless that <laughs> we, we, we could go on and that maybe we have another role to play. And maybe as some religions attest that we come back in, in a different, uh, you know, and that lends a lot of uh, assurance to some people to know, okay, well, I screw up this life, but maybe <laughs> I'll come back hope, and have a, a better yes. life next time. You know, There's and hope for you yet, Jim. <laughs> yeah, there's hope for me yet. Yeah. <laughs> and we talk about old souls. Where does that yeah, expression come old from? old souls, that's it's right. It's because people suspect that that person has knowledge or an attitude about life that they couldn't have if they're four years old or whatever. Uh, and we say, oh, I know, it's got to be an old soul. Hmm. That's very true. Mm -hmm. And we have a grandson. Who <laughs> we think is an old soul an old sometimes. Soul. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's a very good point. Yeah. And that's it for this week's episode of Chatham Kent Hauntings. Special thanks to our Ghost Walks of Chatham Kent partners, Sheila Gibbs and Jim and Lisa Gilbert, and to our producers, Josh Brody and Spencer Hamilton. Until next haunting. <laughs>